now. So this will be on our podcast later. So you can go back and catch up and listen to it if you need to. Um, and a lot of old revelation studies are on there. So like Abigail and Cam, especially you guys can catch up if you would like to. Okay. No pressure. Uh, we're in revelation 14, revelation 14. So we kind of came to the consensus last week. We're going to slow down in revelation and just do half a chapter a week. Just because like Revelation 13 was so much material, it's going to be way easier if we just take it in pieces. Um, Abigail, you will learn the ropes on this as Cam is also learning. With Revelation, it, it seems like a lot, and it is a lot, but the themes repeat. I'm sorry if I'm shouting, by the way. I just kind of get into it. I think you guys are used to it by now. Just turn the volume down on me. It's okay. Um, but the themes repeat every week almost. Ty, Alexa, can, would that, is that accurate? Um, the themes repeat almost weekly. So it'll be new for a few weeks, but then you'll really start to get the hang of it the more you stick with it. Um, and this book is not nearly as scary as we think. Um, it's super, super comforting. And it's not as weird as we think. It is pretty weird, but it's not nearly as weird as, as we think. Um, it's also nothing like the Left Behind books. Has anyone read the Left Behind books? Just curious. Alexa, you have read them, Alexa, or the kid ones? No, I read the real ones. I read the first one because my parents owned the series. Mm. And I, so dumb, I didn't like one of the characters at all. And that's well, why hopefully I it was the it. guy. Hopefully it was the Antichrist guy that you didn't like. I, um, I don't but, even remember seeing him. I don't know if I got there yet or not, me. but I was reading yeah. it. And I only liked the, pi- like the pilot. Like, oh, yeah. Because there's like a few Rayford different main characters. Steele was his name. Yeah, I only yeah. liked him. And I was like, that's I don't awesome. want to read a book wrong like one person. And I... Shut the book. <laughs> no, I get it. Now, remember, this This is not licensed for any of you to go over to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and be like, oh, you got Revelation wrong. My college pastor told me. Though, and I have the Left Behind books. They're sitting over there. They're great page turners if you understand that they're not real. They're great books, but it's kind of misleading, okay? So let's back up a little bit. We're in Revelation 14. Let's just do a couple quick things. So we basically learned three major concepts last week from Revelation 13, okay? We learned the first beast, the beast from the sea. The second beast was the beast from the earth. And the third thing was the mark of the beast or 666, okay? So we're going to kind of rapid fire things. And Alexa and Ty, since you guys were the only two who were here last week, we're going to lean on you. So let's go, Ty, what was that first beast from last week? The beast from the sea. It was represented uh, political power. Yeah, oppressive government over time. And here's the key, like Cam and Abigail especially. Um, in Revelation, it doesn't ever represent one thing. Like, first of all, the word antichrist is never used in Revelation. So there is no antichrist. Again, I'm not trying to just like immediately drown you. Um but like this first beast doesn't represent one oppressive government. It's not about North Korea. It's not about China. It's not about Napoleon. But North Korea, China, and Napoleon are all systems of oppressive government that have hurt Christians. Does that make sense? So the beast, as a, the beast represents oppressive government as a whole, okay? Not one specific. It's not the beast is not Joe Biden, okay, or Donald Trump, or whatever, or Oprah, okay, does that make sense? It's not one person uh, for several reasons, right? 
But Revelation will make much more sense to you if, as you read it, you're not trying to pick one specific person or entity, but a broad theme. So, for example, like Ty said, the first beast, the beast from the ocean, represented government or oppressive government. Now, let me back up. Romans 13, Paul tells us government is a gift from God. Government is a good thing. The beast doesn't represent government, but like Ty said, the beast represents a government that is oppressive to Christians. Does that make sense? State rule that oppresses or usurps the authority of God and the church. Does that make sense? Questions? Feel free to slip that hand up. It's okay. I hate when the professor just flies by a great point. So that's the first beast that we learned. Alexa, what does the second beast represent? The beast from the earth? Um, false religions. Yeah. The second beast or the beast from the earth represented in Revelation 13 represented false religions. It looks like a lamb, but it's, what does it speak like, Alexa? Do you remember that? A, a dragon. A dragon, which not like fire-breathing ancient dragon, but the dragon from Revelation 12. Who is the dragon from Revelation 12, Alexa? Satan. Satan. So this beast looks like a lamb. Now, when we think of a lamb, Ty, what religious figure do we think of? Jesus. Yeah, it looks like a lamb. It looks good. It looks like Jesus. But when it speaks, it's satanic. It's And not satanic like Satan rules. I really wish a deacon had walked by when I was like, Satan rules. Um, but language that is against God. Any religion that is your best life now, um, if you just work hard or worship Allah or uh, enlightenment, which would be Buddhism, atheism, if you want to count that as a religion, any false religion from the past, present, or future that pushes away from Christianity and encourages you to worship the world system, that is the second beast. So it's not Joel Osteen or Muhammad or whatever, it, but those, both of those guys lump into that false religion that the beast is pushing. Does that make sense? Cam, you got a question? Oh, okay. You had, you were like, you were like paused and I was like, okay. Um, yeah, that's a big thing that I wanted to say. Anything else on the two beasts, Ty and Alexa, that I might've missed or thoughts? Good to go. Uh, go I ahead, don't Ty. think so. Okay. Well, Ty, let's stick with you. Now, the last thing we learned about last week was if you follow the false government systems, if you follow the false religion, you get the mark of the beast, which is, of course, the COVID vaccine. It's not the COVID vaccine. Now, again, see, the COVID vaccine, it's, it's, I have the COVID vaccine, by the way, and I'm still teaching the Bible, so I think we're good. Um, but it's not that. It's this mark that you get on your head and your your head and your hands, right? Alexa, what does that represent, the head and the hands? What's going on there? Your head is your thoughts and your hands are your actions. Yes, thoughts and anything. Think about it. If you worship this beast, that will affect how you think about things and what you do. And remember, Ty, the key to interpreting Revelation is not looking forward to the future, but it's looking where? Back to the Old Testament. Back to the Old Testament, so, so getting the COVID vaccine as a mark of the beast, that would be a bad example of looking to the future to interpret Revelation, shoving our world into Revelation instead of looking to the Old Testament. Getting a mark on your, 
uh, hand and forehead is Old Testament language, okay? It's just about what you worship. And this beast will be 666, all right? Alexa, what's going on with 666? What's that mean? What is that? So seven represents perfection and three is like wholeness. Yeah. And so it looks good because there's three numbers, there's three sixes, but six is just short of sevens, which is just short of perfection. Right. It's as close as you can get to being. And remember, what have we been talking about? This false religious system, this religious system that sounds good. Live, laugh, love. I, I want to do all those things. That sounds great. And I'm not saying live, laugh, love is satanic, but I'm saying a system that is built on that. Does that make sense? That's not good. That draws us away from Jesus. It looks really good. Um, Buddhism sounds great. Buddhism sounds good and, and is even helpful with things, but it's not going to save somebody's soul. It's not going to get us into heaven at the judgment, right? So it's close to perfection. It's even three, right? Which is, Ty, what, what other famous three is in the Bible that has to do with God? The Trinity. It's like the Trinity, you see? So, and it's, it's close to God. It seems like God, but it's not actually God. It's not going to get you into heaven. So it's glaringly imperfect. So you see how 666 doesn't represent a literal mark. It's about what you worship, okay? It's about who you worship. It's a whole lifestyle. The first beast isn't one specific government. It's a whole system of government throughout history, right? Um, yeah, that was really good, guys. I'm like tearing up. You guys did such a good job. Great work. Um, so that was Revelation 13. Now, now we come into Revelation 14, or at least the first half of it. Here's what's going on in 14. Here's what John does in Revelation, okay? He, and he did this, he did it with the seals um, where he writes about all these terrible things that are happening on earth as a result of God's judgment. But then in the fifth seal, we're taking up to heaven to see those who have been martyred and to see what's happening on, in heaven. In Revelation 2 and 3, we got the seven churches but then we had four, Revelation 4 and 5, which was, remember that building song that kept building and building and building in heaven? And Revelation 14 is kind of the same thing, where Revelation 13 is, is bad news bears. This oppressive beast of a government, which in, which in ancient Christianity would have been Rome at the time, right? Rome was oppressing them. The false prophet, which is all false religions, but in that day and age would have been what was called the imperial cult which are making Christians obey Caesar and worship Caesar and get the mark of the beast, which means they're marked by worshiping false religion. And it's horrible. And Christians are being killed. And it's horrible on earth. But what is going on in heaven? Uh, one of the pastors that I really love is a guy named Sam Alberry. He's phenomenal. Anytime you want to look him up on YouTube, you should. He's amazing. <clears throat> he said one time, the news feed in heaven is much better and different than the news feed on earth. Does that make sense? The news feed in heaven is way different and better than the news feed on earth. So on earth, we have this news feed of political trouble and corruption and false religion and all these other things. So what's going on in heaven? What good news is going on? Now we're in Revelation 14. Does that make sense? We're all on the same page. 
All right, first half of Revelation 14. Let's go. Cam, would you mind reading Revelation 14, 1 through 2? Sure. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were <laughs> numbers 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing their harps. Perfect. So in all this oppression and terror on earth, John sees a vision. Now, Revelation has a lot of sevens, the seven churches, the seven bowls, the seven trumpets. We're getting into what a lot of theologians call John's seven visions. See how in 14 it says, then I looked? That's going to happen seven times coming up, okay? So then I looked, and behold, where is this taking place, Ty? According to verse 1, where is this? Mount Zion. So Mount Zion is, remember, a key to interpreting Revelation is looking back to the Old Testament, right? Mount Zion was kind of shorthand for um, the place of rest for God's people, the dwelling place of God's people. And in the New Testament, this is heaven, okay? Hebrews 12, 22, you're taking notes. Hebrews 12, 22 talks about, it calls Mount Zion the heavenly new Jerusalem. This is heaven. This is where this is taking place. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is to show you, all right, so we've looked at all the evil that's taking place on earth, and now we need some good news. Here's what's going on in heaven at the same time all this is happening on earth, okay? Happening at the same time. It's in Mount Zion. There's a lamb, okay? And Alexa, who, does, who do we think the lamb represents? Jesus. Jesus. And Ty, what is the lamb doing in verse 1? Uh, he was with God. He was kind of in the first line. What's the lamb doing? What's the verb? Uh, he stood. Yes, he's standing, which is super important. This implies authority, rulership, ownership. He's in control. Does that make sense? He's not, he's not pacing back and forth. He's not sitting or kneeling as a sign of weakness. He is ready to go. God, and, and it's just a reminder of while all this craziness with government and false religion and what and the mark of the beast, while all this is happening on earth, what's God doing? He is right where he's supposed to be. He's in perfect control, standing in authority. This verse especially brought me so much comfort today while I was reading through it a little bit. So he stood, but he's not the only one there. Alexa, who else is up there with the lamb? 144,000 people who had his name and the father's name on their heads. Perfect. The 144,000. So first of all, before we get to them, notice, well, no, let's do them first. The 144,000. All right, Ty or Alexa, who, who are they? What is that? Let's see if we remember this. Weren't they um, in the, like, the chapter or two after all the letters, whenever yeah. it was talking about, like, the throne and there were... Yes you know, the elders. And... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're, you're there. You're there. You're there. Ty, what were you going to say? I want to say it represented all Christians. Yes. Good. Some people think this 144,000 is a literal number, which is not true because Ty, what genre is revelation? Apocalyptic. The genre of revelation, like fairy tale, history, comedy, whatever. 
the genre of revelation is apocalyptic and alexa what's one of the big telltale symbols of apocalyptic literature numbers are very symbolic numbers and symbolism this 144,000 is not a literal number you're not supposed to be looking for 144,000 people or literally it's it's not in israel which is what some people think this number is from revelation chapter 7 so all you'd have to do is go back to revelation chapter 7 to see what this represents all right now follow me here 144,000 is 12 times 12 times a thousand okay and this is what to ty's point that it's the whole church alexa how many tribes in israel were there in the old testament 12 12 god's people was 12 tribes now the church in the new testament is off the teachings of the apostles the disciples ty how many disciples were there 12 12 and so it's 12 times 12 times a thousand, just meaning like in those days, think about it. You didn't have like a counter or an iPad to keep track of people. A thousand was just a, wow, there's a lot of people here. Does that make sense? It's the old church times the new church, right? Math, sorry. It's the old church times the new church times, whoa, that's a lot of people, which would make sense. And think about how revelation flows. The first beast is not just one specific person. It's a whole system. It's a whole thing. The 144,000 is not a literal 144,000 people. It's the whole system of the church of God's people throughout history. You see what I'm saying? Abigail, are you doing okay? Is steam coming out of your brain yet? Are you hanging? Are you doing okay? It's definitely a lot, but I'm doing okay. For sure. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, you're jumping into chapter 14, which you're doing great. I think most of most students your age would be like in a ball crying at this point, I think. So you're doing awesome. This is great. Cam, hanging in there? Doing good? Thumbs up? Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So this is the whole church. And so Jesus is with his people. He's triumphant. He's standing. He's in control with his people. This is supposed to encourage those who are on earth, hey, I know you're suffering under the beast of government and false religion and bad government, and everyone around you is showing the mark of the beast. They're worshiping the false religion. What are we supposed to do? Take heart. God's in control. His whole church is with him. They're all with you, okay? All right, we keep going. And um, let's see. Oh, we're still in just in verse one. And Alexa, what is, what's, do they have a, what's written on them? What's going on? Uh, they had his name and the father's name on their foreheads. This is in direct opposition to the mark of the beast. Does that make sense? While everybody down below is getting the mark of the beast on their head and forehead, on their forehead and hand, the church of Christ is getting the name of the father, is, is getting God's name written on them, which again, think about it. Whenever you hear about the mark of the beast, no one ever talks about the mark of believers. It's always like, oh, be sure you don't get the vaccine or be sure you don't get the microchip in your shoulder. But no one ever talks about the mark of Christianity on the hand and the forehead. So it's not literal. Does that make sense? This chapter is directly contradicting chapter 13. It's all the good stuff, right? So it just means that they're marked by worship. They worship God. God affects their, Alexa, what does the forehead and the hands represent? Thoughts and actions. Yeah, God encompasses their thoughts and actions. God affects what I think and how I act. So his name is written on my hand and forehead. Ty, can you just read verse two? 
And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and the sound uh, of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Good. So this is this voice that we're hearing that we'll see in verse three is actually the 144,000 singing. Okay. It's a worship service, but it's a concert like you've never even heard. How loud is this voice? We, heard, we get a couple of analogies here. Uh, Cam, what's one of the analogies that we get in verse two? What is this voice like? Um, like harpists playing their harps. Okay, good. So harpists playing the harp. Again, Ty, Revelation is apocalyptic, which means it is what? Symbolic. Symbolic. It's not real harps, okay? You're not going to learn how to do the strings thing in heaven, okay? But a lot of European imagery that we see with angels with harps and stuff probably comes from, I don't know if this is how you play it. I'm just doing this. Um, it's not a literal harp, okay? That's not literally what you're doing in heaven. But remember, a key, Alexa, a key to interpreting Revelation is not looking forward to the future. It's looking where? Back into the Old Testament. Back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, harps were symbol. Think about King David with King Saul. Saul was miserable and he had a demon with him or whatever. David's harp soothes him. Harps in the Old Testament uh, have to do with joy and peace. They have to do with happiness and peace and safety, okay? Um, it's all over the Psalms. So whatever's happening with God in heaven, while there's all this chaos on earth, God is with his people in heaven, and there's peace, and there's joy, and there's thanksgiving. Now, how loud is this stuff going on in verse 2, Alexa? How loud is it? What's it like? A peal of thunder. Yeah, mine literally says like the sound of loud thunder, not just thunder, which would be intense enough, loud thunder. Now, think about how intense loud thunder is. It's, it's scary. Does that make sense? Like, it's not just like, this is awesome. It's like so awesome, it's scary. Now, this isn't, it's not a bad thing, but the worship of God that's taking place in heaven is so intense and amazing and joy-filled that it's kind of scary. That's how good things are in heaven. As if people, you know, you look at the earth and you think God's not in control. How could anything good be happening? He's forgotten about us. He's not a good God. That's not true. Look at Revelation 14. His praise is just getting bigger and better all the time. That's why we have to look at earth with eyes of faith. We have to remember this isn't the whole picture. The storming of the Capitol was not, is not the whole story. There's more. God is doing things through this. Not that I'm saying it was a good thing, but you get what I'm saying. God's in control. He's doing things are happening. Um, all right. So they're on their harps. Yep. Uh, Cam, can you read three and four? He sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And the next one? Yeah, yeah. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from the humanity of, of, as the first fruits of for God and the lamb. Good job, Cam. All right, what in the world is going on here? There's a lot going on. Um, there's 
virginity apparently is in here somewhere. What's, what's going on? What is the deal here? So let's take it in pieces. They were singing. So Alexa, who's the they? Who are we talking about? The church, the 144,000. Perfect. So they were singing a new song. Does everybody have that? A new song. Okay. In the Old Testament, anytime a new song is sung, it's because God has done a new work of redemption. Redemption meaning to set free. Think about an exodus. When, when God splits the sea and through the plagues and stuff, he frees Israel. What do they do in Exodus 15 as soon as they are set free and Pharaoh's army is destroyed? The whole chapter, they break out into song, okay? When they're brought back from the exile, they break out into a new song. And that's why it's called new. Not because, you know, Peter was like, finished. Guys, I wrote the new one. That, that's not what that is. It's a, it's a phrase that has to do with God has redeemed us. He set us free. So the theme of this chapter of Revelation is redemption. While there's all this suffering going on on earth, God is still redeeming his people. He's still at work. He's still saving people. He's still, no false government can fully stop the gospel. Uh, Christianity is skyrocketing in China and North Korea and all these, and in the Middle East, areas where the government is so oppressive to them. In Rome, the church exploded, even though Christians were being martyred. God is still doing a mighty work. People are, this new song, it's redemption. It's all happening. God is still in control. Does that make sense? All on the same page with that? So redemption is the theme of this chapter. So they're singing a new song before the four living creatures, which we talked about a long time ago. These four creatures basically represent God's influence. Alexa, what does the number four represent in Revelation? everything like the four corners of the earth yes the whole earth right the four so it's god's influence on the so it's really kind of shorthand for god is what we might be going on here we're not totally sure um either way it's going to be awesome and before the elders which i think also represent the church now what is specific about this song look at the second half of verse three ty what is special about this song or interesting about this song only the 144,000 can learn it. No one else can learn it. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, in heaven, Paul is doing music lessons and you can't do the music lessons unless you're in heaven. That's not what that is, right? No one, only the, so, so Alexa, what is this song about? What does this new song have to do with? Uh, God's done a new act of redemption. Redemption, redeeming you. So you only know the song if you are redeemed. Does that make sense? Not, and I'm not saying when you become a Christian, you get this new code put in your head and you know how to sing some weird song. That's not what that means. Only Christians understand what it means to be redeemed by God because they're the ones who were redeemed. Does that make sense? Like only Christians, when I say Jesus died for your sins, only, like everyone understands what that means, but only Christians feel that. Does that make sense? Only Christians understand that. They know, you know, if I, if I was buddies with, I don't know who's famous, LeBron James. If I was buddies with LeBron James, you guys know about LeBron James, but I I know him. Does that make sense? 
the world hears about Jesus, but Christians know the song. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? That's what that means that only the, the church knows it. Um, God's justice, God's wrath, God's punishment, God's salvation. Only the Christian can see all those things and think, that's awesome. This is so good. Only Christians know the song. Does that make sense? Okay. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Who have been redeemed from the earth. All right. Ty, can you read verse four? Yep. It is these who have not defiled themselves uh, with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. Good. So obviously, since they haven't been with women, that means that only men will be in heaven. Okay. I'm just kidding. That's not what that means. Um, is not what that means. Just kidding. So I expected more of like a laugh there and I didn't get it. Um, anyway, so here's what's going on. They have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. So this kind of points to a couple of different things. Um, it shows us, first of all, in, so remember, a key to interpreting Revelation is the Old Testament, which was the only testament when John was writing this. There was no New Testament. Does that make sense? So everything he writes is going to be about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, men in Israel were not allowed to have sex with women, obviously, before battle, okay, or during wartime, okay? It had to do, one, I think, somewhat with focus, but it also had to be with being ritually pure. And, and this is their wives. This doesn't mean like, oh, well, when they're not fighting, they can sleep around. This is your... It's, it's a total focus thing. It's in it. This is Old Testament. It's not New Testament. It's about ritual purity. And, but the point that John is making is this is soldier language. This is wartime language. It doesn't have to actually do with having sex, okay? Or with husbands and wives. It's like people reading this would know, oh, well, this is what soldiers were supposed to do. This is wartime. Like our goal is not to get saved and then coast into heaven. This is a constant battle against temptation, against, you know, uh, getting too desperate and lost in your own head, um, against people who disagree with you, against false religions, against um, evil systems of government. This is a war. And so that's what John is saying here. Not, it has nothing to do with actually having sex, but John is just saying these are, the, these are God's soldiers. That's who the 144,000 are. When we, are, when we become Christians, we enter into a fight with ourselves and our old nature, which is super trippy and crazy, but, but with the sins of the world, okay? Does that make sense? It also has to do, though, with spiritual purity, okay? Spiritual purity. Um, in the Old Testament, the church is called the bride of Yahweh, right? God's bride. The New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. And when we, and, and think about Hosea, right? Gomer was a prostitute and God says, that's what Israel has done to me. They've prostituted themselves out to all these multiple gods. Um, later on, we'll meet the whore of Babylon. Well, why, why you got to call her a whore? Why do you have to speak to sexual imagery, does that make sense? Like, why not just call her the witch of Babylon? Why does she have to specifically be called the whore of Babylon? Because it has to do with spiritually 
prostituting ourselves. These Christians are Christians because they didn't worship other gods. Does that make sense? They didn't connect their souls to other gods, be it Buddha or politics or sex or, you know, your job or whatever. They didn't worship anything else. Does that make sense? Now, I will say this. It absolutely does speak to why sex is so important in Christianity. Does that make sense? Not that if you have sex before marriage, you, don't, you can't be a Christian. That's not at all what it means. But it shows God gave us sex and marriage to picture Christ in the church, to picture worship. Sex is a, it's very important. So important that when God tries to explain false worship, he uses the analogy of sex, which shows us how important that is. Does that make sense? Are we all on the same page? If you think the Bible is boring, it's because you've never read it. You know what I mean? Um, and you guys are in college, so I can say the word sex, and it's not crazy. Um, so, okay, so we're all on the same page. Does that make sense? So this is, this is wartime talk, but it, there is a lesson in there about how important sex is and how we should cherish it. Um, they're soldiers. They're spiritually pure. Um, last one. Ty, can you read verse 5? And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Does everybody have blameless in five? Does anyone have anything else? Okay. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. I'm actually going through Job right now, some as well. And Job was called blameless. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Like, you can't blame me for anything because I've never done anything. Blameless just means it has to do with integrity. And all it means is not integrity like in your schools, you always had those posters in the hall and one of them was like integrity or whatever. <laughs> integrity means the outside matches the inside. It's not false religion with these people. When they sing songs on Sunday, they then go act like that on Monday. They're not faking it. These people, and they're not perfect, which is such good news for us, right? They're not perfect. They are doing the best they can to follow God. That's what that means. So he gives us this beautiful picture in this first vision of look at all the good that God is doing on the earth in the midst of this oppression and the spiritual reality of, of how it all fits together, okay? We've got some time, so let's go through the next section of Revelation here. I just spit all over this commentary. Um, okay, here we go. Alexa, can you read six and seven. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the spring of water. Good. Okay. So first of all, one quick thing we've got in verse seven, um, no, sorry. Verse six, every nation, tribe, language, and people tie. How many is that? Four. And four represents what? The four corners of the earth. The whole world. Does that make sense? And you see it, every tribe, language, nation, and people. It, that's the whole earth. And in Revelation four represents all of creation, the whole earth. And then you see it again in verse seven, who made the earth, the sea, heaven, and the springs of water. It just means everything. 
Does that make sense? Okay. So see in verse six, how it says, then I saw, again, this is another one of the seven visions. Okay. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with the gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. It, this gospel is available to everybody on the earth. It's, it's available to everyone. The gospel is being proclaimed to everyone. Okay. Every nation, tribe, language, and people. It's for everyone. It's for all nations. Okay. You don't have to become an American to become a Christian or a Kenyan or a Canadian or whatever. Right. All right. And then in verse seven, so he's proclaiming the gospel. And then in verse seven, we hear what that actual gospel is. Ty, can you just read seven? And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. So the gospel, this message is fear God, which fear isn't just like a trembling shaking. It, it just means it means like awe. Like if you're staring, if you're staring down into the Grand Canyon, like amazement, taking it seriously. Take God seriously and give him glory. Do, how do you give someone glory? Do you just stand there like this? Like, no, it's, it has to do with our actions and our thoughts. This isn't glorifying to God. Therefore, I shouldn't do it. Does that make that? That's what it means. Fear God and give him glory. Act like a Christian because the hour of his judgment has come. So this is looking, I think, forward to the end, to the very end, and we're about to see. So fear God, turn to God, because the judgment is coming. Now, that's not super popular in our day and age. It's not popular to scare people, and we shouldn't, like, scare them. But if it starts with fear, that's okay. Now, it, it can't stay. If you just stay afraid of God the whole time, that just shows that you don't actually know who God is. But if it starts with you being like, oh, my gosh, I got to, I got to, I got to run to Jesus. I can't believe I haven't done this. This is terrible. That's okay. So fear God, give him glory. His judgment is coming. You've got to turn to him. And we'll see this. Uh, Ty, can you read eight? Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Okay. So first of all, fallen is Babylon. Now we've learned this before. Babylon is an Old Testament city, okay? Old Testament. But from the Old Testament forward, it's kind of, um, I can't think of another example. Um, I don't, it just means um, it is a symbol for any city that is corrupt. Now, Babylon here is not just a city. It represents the, the whole world, the corrupt system of the world. People who live in Babylon think that money, sex, and power are the keys to happiness and success. Does that make sense? You could live in Nairobi and believe that. You can live in Beijing and believe that. You could live in Atlanta and believe that. So it's not a specific city, but all cities, all world systems that value that, that's a Babylon. Does that make sense? You don't want to be a Babylon. You don't want to go to Babylon. You don't want to live like a citizen of Babylon. But now at the end, Alexa, what has happened to Babylon? It's fallen. It's fallen. It's over. 
This is ending. The world system is ending. Babylon the Great. So this is, this is not something to scoff at. The world system is everywhere. We live in a culture that is basically inundated with pornography, right? Um, or, or, I mean, use any example that you want. It's everywhere, okay? Uh, remember a couple of chapters ago when they said, who can, be, who can defeat the beast? Who can be like the beast? Same message here. It's so great and powerful. Only through God can we defeat this thing. Uh, it's fallen. She who made the nations drink the wine of her passions of her sexual immorality. So again, this is, this is our whore of Babylon, and they'll call her that later, but Babylon, the world system, spiritually prostitutes itself out to all these false gods, and not just the false god of Buddha or Allah, but the false god of my work is more important than anything else. Um, I told you guys this last week, you know, I heard a pastor say, we look at child sacrifice and we think, oh, how horrible. Child sacrifice still exists today. We just sacrifice them to our job instead of over an actual fire. Does that make sense? And that's bone chilling, right? But that's a false God. Um, sex or whatever, that's Babylon. And she has made all the nations. So again, it can't just be one city. She has made everyone drink the wine of her false passion. Everyone in the world who lives like this is a citizen of Babylon. Does that make sense? Um, no, this is not some great city. Like in the Left Behind books, uh, the Antichrist comes up with this like new super nation. And I think he even names it Babylon, which is pretty on the nose. Like, I feel like we would notice that. Does that make sense? Like, come on. So, but it's a whole system, all right? A couple more, we're going to stop at verse 13. Um, and I think we're going to get it there right on time. So Babylon has fallen, and now what happens? All right, Ty, can you read 9 through 11? Yes. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and this image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever received the mark of its name. I never see this on coffee mugs or on like... <laughs> Or on like towelettes. I never and the and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Um, okay, not to make light of that, but just to kind of help everybody ease into this. So this is what's going to happen to the. So remember, Re Revelation thirteen, the false prophet, the beast. Oh, this is horrible. How are we ever going to get out of this? Fourteen is here's what's going on in heaven. Here's what God is doing, and here's what's going to happen to everyone who's oppressing you, here's what's going to happen to everyone who doesn't turn to worship Jesus. So take heart. I'm going to fix this, guys. That's what Jesus is saying through John in 14. So here's what happens. Everyone who worships the beast and receives a mark on his forehead or hand. Now, Alexa, is that literal? No, it's just thoughts and actions. It means worship. Yeah, anyone who... And notice, notice, it even says that. If anyone worships the beast... And receives a mark on his forehead. It's about worship. It's worship first, okay? And that's what it's talking to. 
He will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength. Now notice in verse 8, Babylon made all the nations drink the wine of her, her sexual immorality. And it's kind of a play on words. And God is saying, if this is what you choose to do, you will then have to drink the full wine of my wrath. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Just a quick thing here. Um, uh, okay. A lot of times people think that hell is just symbolic. Okay. The fire and the sulfur is symbolic. Now, it might be that the fire and sulfur is symbolic. I mean, there was no other bad stuff in the ancient world. I mean, fire was about as bad as it could get. You see what I'm saying? But um, the point is, even if it's symbolic, it's just symbolic for something infinitely worse. Does that make sense? So like when you talk to your friends and they might say like, oh, well, hell is just a symbol for something. Well, I, well, I mean, hell is a real place, but the fire and stuff is just symbolic. Well, probably not. But if it is symbolic, it's symbolic for something much worse. Like in heaven, heaven is called like the great wedding feast, right? Well, what if you're just not that big a fan of eating? Like, are we just going to be up there eating the whole time? Well, no, but a feast was just the best of the best. Even today, wedding feasts are awesome. But it's, it's a symbol. Does that make sense? I mean, there might be some feasting going on, but it's a symbol of, hey, this is just the tip of the iceberg of how awesome this is. Hell and the fire is kind of the same way. Is it symbolic? I, there, there's probably some fire and sulfur there, but it's just the tip of the iceberg of how horrific this is going to be. Does that make sense when we say it's symbolic? So fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. How are they in the presence of God if it's hell? Isn't that the very definition of hell? Okay, this is where we're getting a little deeper. Um, it's this idea of, I don't know how to explain it. Like, it sounds to me like God is going to be, like those who are in hell can see God. They can see what they could have had, what they should have leaned into, what they should have worshipped, and they can't get there, and they don't get to get there, and that's part of what adds to how awful hell is, but it also says in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It sounds like just about everybody gets to see hell. Now, if you're in heaven why and heaven is a place of perfect joy why would you look at hell does that make sense are we all on the same page with that question i think the answer and this is just me doing this for a minute i think the answer is when we are in heaven we will be like jesus our hearts all sin and impurity will be wiped out and we will be like god which means that we will love perfect justice we will love the fact that God poured out his wrath on sinful people. So when we see that and acknowledge that hell is a reality in heaven, we won't be like, oh, wow, well, this is kind of a bummer. Can we like, can we like change the channel or something? You know what I mean? Like we will be so thankful that it exists because it, not in a sadistic way. Please don't get that vibe. Not in like a, mean way 
but in a way that's like, okay, just an example. And I'm not trying to be too intense here, but like, if God is just forgiving and wonderful and Abba and a good, good father, it's who he is, it's who he is. If a girl comes to me and says that she has been sexually abused and I tell her, oh, well, God's, God's forgiving to your abuser. He's a good, good father to your abuser. How is that helpful? How is that good? Does that make now? And I'm not trying to get too wet, but now we, we hope for repentance, of course, but you got to remember revelation 13 Christians are being literally set on fire in Nero's garden. Your, your, your parents are ripped away from you and burned alive in Nero's garden. What a comfort this letter would be where John says, look, if Nero doesn't repent, he's literally going to burn in hell and God is going to watch that the whole time. I can promise you those kids would be like, oh, I hope it's today. I hope that this happens now and I can celebrate that. Does that make sense? Like, so, and, and, and I know this is super deep. Abigail, you're doing great, by the way. This is, you're doing great. This is SAT level stuff. But one of the themes in Revelation, not just here, <clears throat> but all throughout Revelation is when God pours out his wrath, the church celebrates. Oh, yes. Thank goodness his wrath is here. He's, it's good that he's wrathful. Um, think about, my wife is about the most sensitive, soft-hearted person ever, which is what, part of why I love her. But when she sees, and I bet you all feel this way too, when she sees a little kid getting picked on or someone with special needs getting picked on, holy cow, she wants to like pull that kid's teeth out in front of, like it's horrible, right? But I'm so thankful for that. Like I'm so thankful that we have a God who sees someone picking on a special needs kid and says, you just wait for the punishment that's coming to you. Like, that's what we want. You see what I'm saying? And we hope that they repent so that this doesn't happen to them. Okay, hell 101. Are we all good? Are we all on the same page? Is that okay? And this is just good stuff to chew on while you're going through Revelation. All right, let's finish this bad boy up. Um, Ty, can you read 11 and 12? And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, who those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Okay, so this is where we get to the good stuff too. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Does anyone know what annihilationism is? What does it mean, Ty, if you annihilate somebody? Man, they got annihilated at that baseball game. Like completely destroy. Completely destroyed. Annihilationism is this belief that either hell doesn't exist or you'll only be in hell for a while and then you'll just cease to exist. Does that make sense? No more existence. This verse seems to go directly against that belief forever and ever. Um, no rest day or night. There doesn't seem to be any annihilationism in there. This is just one of those things where, as your friends mention this, it may be somewhere, this may be a verse for you to mention to them if they believe in annihilationism. Um, whoever receives the mark of its name, the worshiper of the beast, right? So again, it's not a literal mark. It's about worship. Here's the call for the endurance of the saints. So all this talk about hell and stuff, John's looking at the saints. So it's this idea, one, of encouragement, but two, it's also in the best way, it's a warning. As you are tempted to fall back into the old system of the world, 
to just throw up your hands and start leaning into the false religions because it's easier. Remember, something horrible is coming. God's wrath is coming. Don't give in to this. Sometimes we have to use fear as a motivator, right? Sometimes. And that's part of what's going on here. But it's just this reminder, stay with this. Lean into God. Keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Christianity is obedience and faith is obedience. They go together. Oh, I have faith, but I don't act like I have faith. Well, then you don't have faith. Does that make sense? Words and actions go together. Ty, 13, finish us out. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Blessed is the one who dies in the Lord from now on. So again, notice this, it, it could happen. There could be death. Um, and, and this would be no surprise to the ancient Christians who were dying all the time. But he says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. What an incredible religion we have that death, which is so horrible, we can call blessed, um, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So again, the fruit, you know it's an apple tree by the fruit it produces. The, their deeds follow them. Our deeds prove what we believe. They prove who we are. So it's this, it's this encouragement. It's this reminder for Christians as we walk through a world that is run by the dragon, the beasts, et cetera, et cetera. That's the end of this half of Revelation 14. Great job. Questions? Everybody good? Everybody needed like an ice bath after this to like relax the muscles a little bit? Um, great job. Remember, free commentary. It's even written kind of devotional style. So you can literally one day, one chapter a day, like all the chapters are like two pages long. And you can literally devotion yourself through Revelation. Um, my goal is the first Thursday of February, which is not this Thursday, but the next Thursday, we'll start jumping into Esther from seven to eight on Thursday nights on Zoom. Okay. Um, that's my goal. Stay flexible. We're going to see how it goes, but I'll text you guys the links to all those things. Like what I used to do last semester was like Thursday morning. I would send out the link to the Esther or the Thursday night study and the zoom link to the Sunday study at the same time. Sunday afternoons, we're probably just going to keep doing this same time, same place, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let me know if you guys have questions. Are we good? Are we all on the same page with that? I know that was a lot, but again, especially Cam and Abigail, It'll, it, can, it only gets easier every week. I mean, look at how Alexa and Ty just whipped it out. They've been doing it every week. That's how, that's how they are, are so, so healthy in this. Um, Ty, can you press out and we'll be done? Sure. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity again. And we thank you for the lesson we received and just for your word and for us uh, growing closer to you and just learning more about you. I pray that you be with us as uh, we go throughout the week. And just allow time for uh, us to spend with you each and every day. And just uh, bring us back the next time we meet, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys. I'll talk to you later this week, okay? Bye.